Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, T-Mac Talks Press. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have been talking for the last 40 plus minutes with today's guest. So we're going to, uh, I'm hoping we still have a little something left in us to give to you in this episode. I think we do. I think we I do. Think we yeah. do. <laughs> I hope we do. Such, such a good conversation with Hope. Listen, mm-hmm. today I am joined by Hope, Dr. Hope Umansky. She's referred to as a renegade educator, as her students call her. She has spent the last 20 24 years teaching and a near decade as a CEO for an alternative graduate school. What lights her up is seeing students spark up to learning and engaging with their world. Her passion is an educational reform mission to bring qualities such as empathy, compassion, character, and philanthropy back to education as a key creating global citizens and kind human beings. She speaks and publishes on this topic. Dr. Umansky wants the world to be lit up by the possibilities of what education can do to transform people's lives and, and, she, and, and see the systematic divestment of the arts and literature as destructive to a culture of educated consumers and good human beings. We need to wake up. These are Dr. Umansky's words. We <laughs> need to wake up, and I believe them. And realize what is happening on the global stage is tied directly to education. Mark Twain said, don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. And Dr. Hope lives by that motto. Dr. Hope, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So I feel like you said said it so well. (laughs) I usually begin my classes with um, that quote, you know, don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. And my students look at me like, did my teacher just say that to me? Like, yeah, I did say it to you. Two separate things. And, you know, even though I've been teaching composition, research, writing, rhetoric, um, I'm like the last thing I really care about. I mean, I care about it, but is your grammar. You know, anybody, what I care is that you come out of this class thinking, engaging, tangling with what's happening in the world around you and what's happened in the past and the future. The only thing that you can do wrong in my class is just agree with me for the sake of agreeing with me. I don't want that. The best, I want you to argue with me. If you feel like you need to argue with me, bring it, bring it. Let's do it. This is what it's for. This is a safe space. And they all, they're, they're so used to teachers being like, well, we must be and politically correct. And I say, we're not going to be politically correct here. We're not going to disparage anybody. And anybody who disrespects somebody is kicked out of my class forever. I will. And now that it's COVID, it's a lot easier. I just hit eject from Zoom. <laughs> um, so I said, we're going to do it with respect, calm, and coming from the heart. And I think that's the piece that I see educators missing is that passion for what education can do as a transformative vehicle. And Frederick Douglass, I I just, you know, I wasn't planning on speaking about him, but considering our current climate, I think it's worth noting 
his autobiography, which is phenomenal, The Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, because he knew that if he could learn to read, that was the key to personal empowerment. He knew that there was power in words. He knew from a very young age, I had to get those school books. That's the key, the literacy. And I'm just not talking about verbal literacy. I'm talking about cultural literacy, artistic literacy, historical literacy, all of it. But he, so he would meet the boys when they were coming from school because he wasn't allowed to go to school because he was a slave. And he would trade candy for their school books. And he taught himself how to read. And he got caught by his slave master's wife, the mistress. And um, she said, you want to learn to read? I'll teach you how to read. And first, the first thing that I think is so moving, it makes me want to cry, is the generosity of heart of both of them to connect with each other, where this woman, she risked her life and her livelihood to teach this little boy, I think he was eight, to read. And she said, yeah, that's where the power is in literacy. And so he went on a mission to learn to read so he could then write his autobiographies and have a speaking platform. And that's part of what public speaking originated from is those narratives. And it's, it's not in a typical American story, story of memoir and narrative, which we think kind of came on the scene in 2000. Actually, this powerful history of oral and written narrative was born in American literature as a whole. Some people might, you know, say I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. So if you think I'm wrong and you have a good argument, I'm happy to hear it. You can find me on my website and email me or LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to hear any comments. That um, oral and written memoir of strength, literacy, beauty, and the whole kaleidoscope of the human experience came out of the slave narratives of slaves who were not allowed to read, risking their lives, telling their stories, um, and really sparking what I think is key and what we've, what we've lost sight of is human resilience, the human spirit to love and change and grow, and to always strive for better and connection. And if anything good, you know, can come out of this pandemic, I'm hoping that that Band-Aid is ripped off and people's testimony, people's live words, people's experiences are really held sacred because we're the only ones that can tell our story. So if we're in a culture of people who denounce education or denounce narrative or denounce truth, it's going to shut the whole, it's going to shut everybody down. And it doesn't even, it's not even an overt, like, you know, the Gestapo, which, you know, shut everything down. It's very covert and insidious, but it's a poison. It's a poison nonetheless. And we have to find in our students the ability for them to say, my words matter, my experience matters. I might need to learn how to say it in a certain way for a certain audience, right? Like an academic audience or a public speaking audience or friends or whatever. But that's what it is. That's the point, right? Is to be connected and have a better world, whether that means in your community, civically, globally, it's all of it. Hope, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about that quote, that Mark Twain quote. Mm -hmm. It's 
and and it, I'm I'm drawing a connection. So don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. It makes me think that a lot of times what gets in our way of speaking or feeling a fear of speaking is we're letting our presentation get in the way of our passion. Yes. That I think is the key ingredient often missing from presentations or if it's not missing from presentations, it's what makes it so hard for people to see themselves as speakers because they will let the logistics and the, the PowerPoint and they let the presentation get in the way of passion. Would you agree? I totally agree. I think a hundred percent. And, um, I actually do my best speaking extemporaneously. I do my best, like I read, I do some research, and then I just, what I call percolate. It's my process. I, I don't overthink it. I really do my best when I can come from the heart. And I think that's the key is that we have kind of given a generation a lack of confidence in being able to speak from the heart because we're afraid of haters. We're afraid of consternation. As a woman, I can say you're afraid of losing your job, your position, your stature. You're afraid of saying certain things. And, you know, Brené Brown, quote the wonderful, beautiful Brené Brown, we have to not be afraid of being vulnerable. And if we put ourselves out there, nope, not everybody's going to like us. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> it's part of the dialogue. So for me, like coming and speaking from the heart, find something that sparks you. And be willing to like it tangle with it with confidence. And for me, because I grew up, I'm a, you know, from a legacy educator family education. My grandparents were Jewish immigrants and, um, my grandfather was, um, a very successful businessman. He started selling newspapers on a subway at five years old. You know, I mean, this is a story that, you know, you can't make up anymore, but he, was best friends with the Brandeis founder, Brandeis University, and sat on that board. And so philanthropy and education have been tied together. And my mother was an educator, and I it sparks a deep piece in me of how people can transform themselves. And we can't forget the beauty of being human is that we are all resilient. We all have hope, no pun intended. You know, we all seek for hope. That's why hope has become, it's funny. It's like my, my name's having a moment. You know what I mean? Like my whole life, people be like, what's your name? That's a weird name. Was your mom a hippie? You know, but now, and as a psychologist, Dr. Hope, you know, had a certain ring to it. Clients love it. But that hope, that resilience, that spirit to connect and do more, that's what education's about. And that's what speaking's about. What are you're speaking about plants or plant medicine or whatever, it's finding that spark and, and learning to not be afraid of people. Because people, I mean, so what? Somebody says some mean things to you. It's going to happen in life. If it hasn't happened already, I don't know where you live. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> right? <laughs> what are you doing? Because <laughs> I feel like if you're a breathing, living person with a heart and a brain and a soul, life is going to hurt you a little bit. It's going to bang you up a little bit. And that's okay. How are we going to harness that to make things better? So I just come at it straight from like a place of passion. I don't ever really script what I'm going to say. I just, some people think it's important. Great. Some think I'm full of it. Fine. 
doesn't matter to me because I know that I have a mission and I want to bring, and that's why that quote from Twain is so important for a teacher to say, yeah, we're going to be doing schooling, but I'm more, I care more about the education. I care more about your thoughts than, you know, I could teach a grammar lesson in 10 minutes to somebody. That's, you know, that's not worth a $40,000 a year college tuition. What's worth it is developing your heart and your soul and your ability to be philanthropic and giving and contributing to society in a positive way. And when we speak, we're educating, whether we want to believe it or not. You are an educator when you're on that microphone. Yes. What you just said in terms of developing hearts and souls, that should be what every speaker endeavors to do whenever taking to the stage is to develop hearts and souls and minds, to advance thinking, to advance concepts, to advance conversations. What is the scariest part of speaking, no matter how many times you make a presentation? No, what, what, is, what is the scariest part? If I'm going to be honest, and we are being honest, we're talking about vulnerability. Yes. And that vulnerability is, and, you know, Brené Brown brought that into our vernacular, so we're going to use it. You know, be bold, be brave, be vulnerable. This, for me, the scariest part is that I go in thinking it's going to be one thing, and every presentation has its own ride. It has its own energy, its own momentum. It has to do with the interaction between the audience and me, the energy in the room. I Sometimes it's like a runaway train. And sometimes I go, think, oh, my gosh, like I totally went off script. And those are the ones where people are like, man, you really touched me. You really moved me. So I get nervous sometimes when I think, oh, my God, what's flying out of my mouth right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't stop it. You know, but then those are the ones that just go with it. They're and, the best. Yes. And people go, ah, that moved me. Yeah. I'm telling you, I think it was, oh, it may have been, was it in D.C. last year? I think it was in D.C. of 2019. I did a presentation, and I kind of went off script and started talking about something that happened at that same conference the year before, and there were people in the audience who attended the conference in 2018 in San Diego. And we were talking about how you could tell a difference in my presentation style. And they didn't know until I told them in DC in 2019 that just maybe about two hours before the presentation in San Diego, I ran into a relative who didn't even know I existed. And yes, I am having to try to pull it together. Yeah. And do this presentation. I know about him. You didn't know about me. And I had never prepared for that conversation. Like seriously, oh I'd gosh. never said, Oh, what are you gonna do if you ever right. meet him? You know <laughs> But the timing, it had to be like divinely orchestrated for oh, you. Absolutely. There were ten, twelve thousand people right. at this conference, Hope. Okay, number one. Number two, we just happened to cross paths at the right time and I had the nerve, the guts, the mm-hmm. husma to walk up to him and say, Hey, are you so-and-so and do you leave such and such place and da, 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 da. so anyway I told them that story I, and and so they said oh my gosh because I I don't remember exactly how it tied into what I was talking about but I I asked them do you notice the difference between that presentation and this one and they were like oh they were like yeah you were good then but you're like really good now to say, you probably had a rawness to you you probably and, have been ripped open a little bit and yes, and when I told them the story, they're like, oh, and, and 
just the energy, like you said, yeah. you never know what road a presentation is going to take you down. I did not go into that presentation with any plan of telling them about, yeah. you know, putting my life out there. Yeah, right. my business. <laughs> right. But it happens sometimes. And it it's happens. those, and when it's happening, right, were you thinking to yourself, Bridget, what am I doing? What am I saying? Yes. What's yes. going on? And your mouth is just going. <laughs> yeah. You're, this little voice back here is like screaming at you, telling you to shut up. Get on the script. Yeah. Right. Right. Stick to the script, lady. We've practiced this time and time again in the hotel room and before you got on the plane. <laughs> but it led to so many conversations afterwards that had nothing to do with the presentation topic but about just kind of life and circumstances and maybe self-acceptance and you probably moved people. And the thing that's so amazing about that, this isn't popular in academic circles, but I don't care if I I, I care about what academia thought of me, I I wouldn't be doing what I do. Um, It brought in a realness and a rawness and a vulnerability to you and and the dynamic stories that we all live because we don't live on scripts, right? We can't predict how our kids, our partners, our friends, our family, our employers, we don't know. So those flying, I kind of say, well, I just flew up by the seat of my pants. Those seat of the pants talks are the most powerful talks because you're moved and people connect to your heart. And the heart energy, you know, in Eastern traditions, the the energy field that comes off the heart is the most powerful energy field there is. So when you're connecting heart to heart with people, whether it's in a room of a hundred, a group of 10 or one-on-one people feel it and they want that authenticity because it's yes. so sorely lacking. In yes. Our world. Yes. And as a point of clarification to our listeners, mm-hmm. we're not saying enter into every presentation shooting no. from the hip. We're saying, yes, go in there with a plan, go in there mm-hmm. with objectives and an agenda and your script, but be vulnerable, be bold, be brave, be yeah. ready to go off script. And that is when you are going to have your scariest moments, Mm -hmm. but also your most enlightening moments, your most challenging moments. You will grow as a speaker. You will grow as a connector. People in the audience will grow before your very eyes. You will have people who will come up to you and start telling you things they've never told anybody else before, or they'll have these awakenings. But I say, feel free to go off the script. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't, Feel, believe that you have to be so married to it until this is how it must be. And I can't right, do anything right. differently. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. have confidence in our power. And I think it's, it's really, I'm actually, I'm really glad we're having this conversation right now because I'm sitting on a bunch of writing that will blow the lid off my carefully veneered, even, even as renegade or rogue, rogue educator as I am, it will still blow the veneer off of that and I've been sitting on it and I've I've been in thinking, thoughtful conversation with myself. If I do this, there's no looking back. However, I feel that it's important. And there's certain things that um I want to share with the world about life that in my context as professor or as a leader in higher education are important. And they're important for everybody to hear. But so I'm actually in, in this right now where like, we're not saying going out there and like revealing, you know, your most raw, tender, private moments in your life. But if you're moved to, and if it is for the greater good, I think we have to trust the energy and trust the, 
you know, divine, I'm not talking in denominational terms, the divine providence of how you ran into that relative, you know, before your talk, the timing of it, which set off a cascade of emotions and interactions, and you went with it. And that's the thing is like to be in the vortex, right? We know when we're working in our highest self and our highest good, when things are moving upwards and people are responding. And when we try to shut ourselves down or we try to be something that we're not, or, you know, for pretense, or I can't blow this veneer off this part of myself, that's when people don't respond quite as much because people are hungry for that connection. They're hungry for real people. They're hungry for mm-hmm. real stories. And, and whether the stories are good, bad, whether they're successful, whether they're not, as long as you constantly endeavor to uplift others, mm-hmm. even in your low moments, as long as you're pushing others up, yeah. high, that's that's what matters. Hope, uh, what what is a number one recommendation you have for someone to improve his or her speaking skills. I mean, we've talked about passion. We've talked about being yourself and being vulnerable and brave and bold. But if if there was nothing else you could tell the audience, any one little practical practice, tip, right. strategy, mm-hmm. what would it be? Well, the standard answer would be go to Toastmasters. That's not my answer. <laughs> my answer i mean it has its place it's great but that's not my answer well we don't at this point we do not expect standard answers right (laughs) (laughs) my answer would be to start reading memoir start reading memoir of people who've been bold and see what they risk what they don't risk and really go to those people's platforms and look at them and see what resonates with you so you can get sparked up lit up by whatever aspect of your story you think, and we're always trying to bring hope, resilience, reminding each other of our human spirit that even in the world today where we are separated physically more than we have ever been, even though we're connected and we're separated, even though disparities seem really stark and it's really easy to find that place of pessimism and hopelessness as people's careers, their lives, their livelihoods, their their actual lives are destroyed forever. We have to find the space in there to, to strive and aspire to make meaning because it's our human nature to make meaning. Even before there was oral narrative and written narrative, it's our desire to make meaning of our experience. And that's why narrative, whether it's history or written narrative or oral narrative is so powerful. So I'd say read memoir, just get your hands on like, you know, just grab in and get tangled with people's memoirs and how they talk about their lives and why, why do they talk about this? Is it about cultivating a sense of uniqueness? Is it about cultivating hope and resilience? It's probably a lot of those things. But that, that would be my recommendation is to just really get in and read books, especially memoir and people's lives and just see what was the point of revealing this very personal thing and how did it move me and what in my, and I think it just happens naturally. You'll find in your own life what will spark you up. And if we are pretending like with anything to be in a relationship or a job or a parent or not, or we're, we're putting on that facade that doesn't really resonate with who we are authentically, it's just going to fall flat. So I think doing that helps people find that part of their heart and give them courage. 
And speaking and putting yourself out in the world takes a tremendous amount of courage because there are always going to be people who are going to say, oh, you didn't do it right or, you know, and you have to just let it all go. Nobody, you're not going to be everybody's biggest fan. I even, I think I said it in, in your book, The Redesign 9 to 5, in my essay, when you're a CEO, you have to learn there is no right way. You will, you know, whether you have to be okay with whether I'm going to make this decision, I'm going to get criticism, I'm going to make that decision, I'm going to get, you will be critiqued. And you have to be open to that. And we were kind of chatting before we went live about someone who had said something to me like, well, you didn't get the whole quote right with, and I was trying to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And no, I didn't get it right. I did it. I did one sentence of the whole quote because it was Facebook. But I was like, you know, yeah, you're right. I didn't. The whole, thank you for reminding me. The whole quote is even far more powerful. And being okay with that. And I think that comes from being okay with yourself. And the only way, I think there's incredible therapeutic value to reading memoir for healing and narrative biography. And that's why therapy is so, you know, can be so transformative for people because you're telling your story and you have somebody hopefully not judging it and saying, you know what, you're okay. And you're even more beautiful for having experienced that, you know, and, and like being able to embody like the kaleidoscope of who we are, that nothing is good, bad, Shouldn't have happened. Should have. It happened. So let's talk about how we're going to integrate it. So many speakers are using the platform of bringing hope and and Mm -hmm. bringing resilience and talking about confidence. What do you say to someone who says, "Well, you know that that it's overdone." Like, you know, my message, I think, would be about resilience. My message might would be about confidence. Everybody's doing those. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people who feel like it's it's those topics have been just beaten to death. Well, I, it's kind of, on the one hand, I think that's, that's kind of a funny response of people because isn't that what we as human beings, <laughs> why we are think and reflect and have the ability, you know, um, to, to do that because we're talking about universal themes. I mean, you could read a book about 13th century China or, you know what I mean? And, and find the same theme. So are we done with being human? No, we're not. So humans want to be resilient. They want to strive. They want to learn. They want to grow. Children are so naturally curious. And the school system with, and that's a different conversation, Common Core and all of this stagnant, you know, let's take the special, the specialists out of the teacher. Why would you do that? You know what I mean? So we could all just have a, um, you know, standard response and narrative like we're like robots going through life. No, we have to, like, if you're, if people are tired of hearing about resilience, then yeah, don't go to school, don't read, don't watch TV, don't do anything because you're just not going to be moved. And I'd say that that person is probably pretty shut down by trauma. I see a lot of that. I have a very small private consulting like you know in integrative psychology practice and when people come and and they say that it's because they're shut down by trauma and they haven't integrated the trauma into who they are into the fabric of what makes them beautiful and and i think we so for people who say i'm tired of that i'm tired of being uplifted 
are you tired of being human? You know what I mean? Because I thought that's what we do. I thought that's what our main goal wasn't to make money or be better or have the bigger house. Or It's about connection and friendship. It goes back to Huckleberry Finn, that beautiful friendship, that empathy, that compassion. Well, I think people worry about adding to this conversation that already has so many voices in it. And my response to that person would be, yes, it has all of these voices in it already talking about these themes and concepts, but it doesn't have your voice in it talking about these themes. Your story, your perspective is not part of this tapestry of the conversation on confidence, resilience. Pick a, pick a thing. Okay. Hope, what is something yes. about you that would mm-hmm. surprise your audiences who have seen or heard you speak? Uh, well, I guess it would depend on the, um, I guess it would depend on the forum. Um, I would, I think that some people are shocked, especially my students that I want to, you know, like they see, they're like, Oh, you're the professor. Okay. <laughs> you're you're the teacher all right and then and then you know they're surprised because I say I want you to argue with me I want you want you to get it wrong if you don't get it wrong you're not going to ever get it right you know like I want that but I think that I'm a very deeply spiritual person I'm actually a mystic I am a longtime meditator I'll spend two three days in silent meditations I believe that connecting to that mystical part of ourselves, the timeless part, the soul is what really gives us the best strength and the best way to like see the beauty of humanity. And that comes back to um, the writing process or the speaking process. Same thing to me. Narrative process is the same thing that, and this is not popular to say, but I'm going to say it. Um, I almost feel like it's like a channel, you know, that we're channeling something higher, whether it's our highest self or something even greater. I'm not going to tackle that. That's for the great mystics. I'm not going to do that. But I think that when we get in that space of praying or meditating on what does this audience need to hear? What do I need to say? And then trusting yourself enough to know that you have the knowledge. You are enough. I know it sounds cliche, but you are enough. You have the knowledge. Everything happened exactly as it was supposed to in the past and in this moment right now and let it come in. And I think that's what people really connect with. And I think my students are always like, she's got a funky side to her. You know what I mean? She's into some, some interesting things, you know, like she's into some things that I wouldn't think she's into. When I tell a student, if you're, if you're blocked, you know, meditate start meditating. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not supposed to make web diagrams and forget <laughs> that. forget that right now. Just go inward, go inward, get quiet and find whatever sparks joy for you and peace because God knows in this world today, we need it, you know, and I feel like talks like you're talking about, like when you, you know, when you saw that relative before your talk and you, I love that you asked for audience what do you see? And they responded that they did see something different. It was almost like a, like, that's what I was trying to say. It's a divinely channeled moment that was no accident. It was no accidental crossing of paths. It was fully, you know, whatever paradigm you wanted, it was orchestrated to reveal something of your highest self to yourself and your audience in that moment. And I think that going deep 
into the mystical traditions, whichever, it doesn't matter to me if it's organized, unorganized, I don't care. But going deeper into something that's bigger than you, that has timeless qualities and being able to kind of harness that, I think that's where the energy comes in. And I think that's how we cultivate. And that's why people like come to somebody like an integrative psychologist who's also an educator, but because they want to find that path to spark, you know, and we talk a lot about sparking joy, what lights you up. I think being connected to a greater part of yourself and all of humanity sparks people. I think that gives energy because it's optimistic. It's hopeful. Find your spark. That's Find where your spark. That. Yeah. Find your spark. Find that passion. And then the speaking, it'll come. It's but a flow, right? It's like a flow. Yeah. 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 Find the spark, find the passion, and then the presentation part that that'll just, it, it'll show up. All righty. Dr. Hope, this was oh, fantastic. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me space. If anybody wants to know more, I have a website, Innovations Education Advocacy Group. You guys can find me on LinkedIn as well. Hope Umansky. It's U-M-A-N-S-K-Y. If you want to find me on there, I'm happy to have any connections. And Bridget, such a pleasure learning more about you and you're such an inspiration to me. So it's just such an honor to be part of your book, Redesign Your 9 to 5, and part of your network. And I look forward to more. The feeling's mutual. You know that. The feeling yeah. is mutual. And, and from the heart, thank you for being who you are because it gives space to people to explore these topics. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thank you. And I appreciate the listeners. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And for people who are listening, you're already open. That's the thing. If you're listening, it's there. The spark is there. You might need to cultivate it or think about it or meditate on it. I don't know. But the spark, if you're listening and you're following Bridget, your your soul's path, whether it's on a big public forum or just with friends, whatever, it's about harnessing your strengths and warts and all, right? It's it, it's the whole human experience. And that's what I think people really connect with, especially with you, Bridget, because you're so poised and so well-spoken and so well-educated and you're real and you're raw. And that's how people connect with you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate Thank you. that. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to this episode. Remember to always own the microphone. I'll catch you next time.